Well, thank you, Cass. Um, I did want to, yeah, I'm grateful that we had a chance to pray for CASA, which is an organization here in our community we partner with. And if you guys know, we've been collecting socks for them. That's something that they asked for all this month. So there's a table out there where you can drop socks off. We're going to do that through the end of the month. And if you'd like to learn more about CASA and the work that they do, there's someone there who can talk to you about that there. And I, it's really good to be back with you all. Our, our family was traveling last week. And I realized, like, I think this place works better when I'm not here. Uh, so Cass did a great... <laughs> I walked right into that one, didn't I? Yeah, yeah, well, fair enough. Uh, no, um, Cass did a great job preaching. Like, she got applause when she preached last week. Like, there was, like, a ton of socks that got turned in, a long-standing heating and air conditioning issue, and the offices got fixed. I need to go on vacation more often, clearly. Um, but... <laughs> yes, my wife is applauding for that one, so, all right. Well, let's just call it a day then. Uh, no. Uh, well, thank you guys for being here. Uh, you know, the, the countdown to Christmas has finally ended. It's here at Christmas Eve. As Cass mentioned, we have kind of a normal church service this morning, and then we're doing two Christmas candlelight services at 4 and 5.30. Those two services are identical to each other, but they're different than what we're doing this morning. So you're certainly welcome to come back for one of those. But we're going to do a lot of Christmassy stuff this morning too. So if this is the only Christmas Eve service you get, you're still going to be well served. Um, And I don't know what this last month has been like for you all, but it has involved a lot of waiting. Uh, Our kids are teenagers now, so the the wait for Christmas is not quite the same as it was when they were little. Um, But December can feel like a really long month. It can feel like a long month when you're waiting for Christmas, but it can also feel like a long month because in my mind, like December is the month where it finally starts to feel like winter in Oregon. You know, it gets dark early. Uh, You've got a couple of mornings where you're having like scrape ice off your car when you leave. Uh, The leaves are off of all of the trees. You know, just December feels long because of all of that. And just the the fact that winter's here, it got me thinking. I know a lot of you have read C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But in that story, he was trying to, to imagine like what the bleakest possible setting could be for his characters. So he invented this land of Narnia, where at the time it was under this curse. So it said in Narnia, it was always winter. Right? It was always winter, but never Christmas. <laughs> so it's like you get all of, of the difficult things about winter. It's always cold. You get the lousy parts, but you don't have that joy of Christmas arriving. And you know, really for the last month, I've spent some time thinking, gosh, what would our world be like if it was always winter but never Christmas here. Uh, maybe you've never stopped to think about it before, but it's an interesting question. And like, don't get me wrong, I'm not anti-winter. I think there's some great things about winter, right? You get uh, hot chocolate, uh, you get college football bowl games, ski season is here. Like, there's a lot of good things about winter. But if we lived in a world where winter never ended, I don't think we would enjoy it all that much. Like even the parts of winter that we tend to like, I mean, things like snow falling on a winter's night, like that's great. But if it snows all the time, you're kind of like, I don't know about this, right? And what if you thought about the fact that, um, you know, snow is nice, but especially it's only if you've got heat in your house. And if winter never ended, I think when we would walk out and we would see snow falling, it would just sort of fill us with a sense of dread, like, oh no, this again, I got to deal with the roads and all of that kind of stuff. And there's an ancient poem that I think really captures this well. It's called The Seafarer, and it was written about 1,300 years ago. And it was written by a guy who was describing the life of a sailor on the North Sea in the Atlantic Ocean, a place where literally it feels like it's winter all the time. And this is how he describes his life. He says, No man sheltered on the quiet fairness of earth can feel how wretched I was, drifting through winter on an ice-cold sea, 
world in sorrow, alone in a world blown clear of love. So alone in a world blown clear of love. For me, that, that's a picture of what it looks like when it's always winter. And those words that were written so long ago, they, they still kind of ring true for us today, don't they? I mean, what that sailor described so long ago still resonates with us because that can describe some of the experience that we have with winter in our world as well. I mean, as much as I love the colors of fall, and Oregon does that really, really well. Corvallis is so beautiful in the fall. There is a little part of me that always gets this pang of dread when I see the leaves turn because I'm like, oh yeah, pretty soon they're going to fall off and then we're going to be in winter again. Um, now, at this point, Martha, my wife, was reading through the sermon, giving me some feedback on it. She was like, hey, at this point, you might want to stop and say, it gets better. Like this, is, like, this is a really bleak and depressing sermon so far. So hang with me. It's going to get a little bit better as we go on. Um, but like I said, I've been thinking about that uh, lately, this idea about winter in our world. And I think what I want to suggest this morning is that our world is definitely in a winter that goes beyond just the physical change of the season. I mean, I think in a real sense, all of us, emotionally, spiritually, socially, we're in the midst of winter. I think the depression that many people, many of us wrestle with in the winter, it it mirrors something deeper that is going on in our souls. Um, During the the winter, when we look at the bare trees, it reminds us that all sorts of things in our world are dying. It's not just the leaves. And as the skies cloud over and travel plans get canceled, it reminds us that all sorts of things just go horribly wrong in our world. Often in our world, when we're stuck in those moments, it it really does feel like spring is never going to come, like winter is going to be here forever and we're stuck waiting. And while we're stuck waiting, uh, people that we love pass away. You know, we find that no matter how hard we try, we can't just stop doing or saying the things that we really wish we would stop doing or saying. And that's what it feels like this winter that we live in. You know, when, when parents hurt their children and children don't know how to have a conversation with their parents, it reminds us that we are living in winter. Right? When friends hurt us or desert us, it reminds us that we're living in winter. Uh, when you read about war in the Middle East or homelessness in Corvallis, it reminds us that we're living in a winter that sometimes feels like it might never end. And as I was thinking about these things, I was reminded of one of the weirdest, strangest stories in the entire Bible. So I want us to go there this morning. It's found in Ezekiel chapter 37. I'd love to invite you to turn there. If it would help you for any reason, there are some red Bibles in those seats in front of you. You can grab one and turn to the page number on the screen. Um, But as you're turning there, let let me kind of tell you about it. It's a story from the history of the people of Israel. And it's a story from a time when they too felt like they were living in this winter that would never end. So here's the the background on this story. Um, God created our world to be good, and humanity turned their back on God, and things ended up broken. But God initiated a rescue plan for the world. He picked one man, Abraham. He said, Abraham, I'm going to work through you. Your descendants are going to become this nation, the nation of Israel, and I'm going to work through them to bring the opportunity to come back to God, make that available to everyone, to bring life and hope back to everyone. And the people of Israel, though, also repeatedly turned their back on God and the plans that he had for them, even though he promised that he would bless them and protect them if they would just stay faithful to him. And when they do that, they end up falling under the the sway of other empires. The Assyrian Empire comes in, demolishes the northern part of Israel. And then the kingdom of Babylon comes in, and they conquer what's left, the, the southern part of Israel. They kill most of the people in the city of Jerusalem after laying siege to it. And they haul off pretty much everybody who's left into exile in Babylon. And that's where this story takes place, right? So these exiles are left. They're forced to live far away from the only home they've ever known. And they were living in a kind of winter. And they didn't know if they'd ever get to go home. They didn't know how it was going to end. And they felt lost. 
Uh, they felt abandoned by God. They felt like they'd lost their nation and their identity and their lives were destroyed. But God loved them too much to leave things like that. So in the book of Ezekiel, he picks this guy, Ezekiel, and occasionally he gives them messages of hope and encouragement and challenge, different things he wants them to, to share with that community of exiles living there in Babylon. And in chapter 37, we have another one of those uh, moments where God starts to speak to Ezekiel. So in verse 1, this is who God's talking to. It says, this is Ezekiel speaking. He says, the hand of the Lord was on me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me back and forth among them, and I saw a great many bones on the floor of the valley, bones that were very dry. So you've got to kind of picture this scene in your mind. Ezekiel is in Babylon, but he's kind of taken this vision, and God puts him in this place where apparently there was like some sort of huge army battle here several years before. There's so many dead bodies that they couldn't bury anybody. But since then, the the bodies have decomposed. There's nothing left but bones. There's just bones as far as the eye can see. And Ezekiel's walking around, and he sees all of this, and he's like, all right. So he's there surrounded by all of these skeletons. And then God asks him a question. Verse 3 says, hey, God asked me, son of man, he's talking to Ezekiel, he says, can these bones live? Now, to us, that seems like it's a pretty obvious answer to that question. Um, but again, the people of Israel, they, they had some experience with God occasionally bringing people back to life. But, but when you read those stories about, you know, the widow's son being raised back to life, those were people who were, like, just barely dead. You know, they hadn't been dead very long. They certainly hadn't decomposed. There was still an actual body there to bring back to life. But this situation seems kind of different. I mean, there's nothing left for the bones. There's, there's no body to even come back here. Uh, and you can almost imagine Ezekiel's looking at the bones, God asks him this question, he's like, yeah, I, don't, I don't really know about that. Um, but then God asks him to do something strange. So in verse 4, we read that God says to him, he says, Ezekiel, prophesy to these bones and say to them, dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. This is what the sovereign Lord says to these bones. I will make breath enter you and you'll come to life. I will attach tendons to you and make flesh come upon you and cover you with skin. I'll put breath in you and you will come to life then you will know that I am the Lord. So God tells Ezekiel to do this, so Ezekiel does this. He kind of says this to the bones, and what God says is going to happen, happens. This this wind comes, and you know, it's this really cool scene as it's described as like, he sees like the sinews and the muscles and the tendons. You know, it's like he sees these people being built back from the inside out until eventually they're covered in, in flesh and skin. So Ezekiel says, I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I was prophesying, there was a noise, a rattling sound. The bones came together bone to bone. I looked and tendons and flesh appeared on them. Skin covered them, but there was no breath in them. So essentially, there's kind of this zombie army there, right? They've got all these bodies, but they're not really alive. There's no breath. There's no life in them. And then the Lord comes back to Ezekiel and he gives him strange request number two. First, he had to prophesy to these bones. And now he says, son of man, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell them. This time, I want you to give an order to the wind prophesy to the wind, tell it to come and breathe into these bodies so that they'll live again. So Ezekiel does. And in verse 10, we read, so I prophesied as he commanded me and breath entered them. And they came to life and stood up on their feet, a vast army, right? So this, this wind comes and this great army stands up, eyes open, fully alive. And Ezekiel is kind of wondering, well, what on earth does this mean? But God doesn't leave him guessing for long. He explains it. He says, son of man, these bones are the people of Israel. This is what they're saying. They're saying, our bones are dried up. Our hope is gone. We're cut off. Therefore, prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. My people, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from them. I will bring you back to the land of Israel. Then you, my people, will know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up from them. 
I'll put my spirit in you and you will live and I will settle you in your own land. He says, look, the, the, these bones, these are the people of Israel. Like all of their hope is gone. They see their exile as a grave. But Ezekiel, I want you to tell these people that I am going to open up the grave of their exile and make them live again. You need to tell them, I'm going to bring you home. Right? I'm going to put my spirit in you. You will live again. You will return to your own land. I am the God who can bring life out of the midst of death. See, God uses this weird story to give the people of Israel a very specific promise at a specific time in their history. You won't be in exile forever. You're going to go home. But I also think this story speaks to us today. And it points to a bigger truth about God. And it shows us that even when we feel like winter is never going to end, that God, through the power of his spirit, can bring life out of death for us too. And that is such an important idea in the Bible, right? The idea that that God, through the power of the Spirit, can bring dead things back to life, right? The powerful Spirit can move our world from winter to spring. It can create life out of nothing. And the author of this passage has a really unique way of reminding the the readers about that. Now, remember that this passage was originally written in Hebrew. And in Hebrew, there's a word, ruach, that has a kind of a range of meanings. It can mean wind, it can mean breath, but it can also mean spirit. Hebrew doesn't have as many words, doesn't have as big a vocabulary as English, so each word has to cover a little bit more ground. And this word ruach can mean wind or breath or spirit. And it is used all throughout the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, to describe God's life-giving power. So for example, if you look at the story of creation in Genesis, you find that it is the spirit of God, the ruach, that is hovering over the waters that helps create the world that we live in. And all throughout the Old Testament, that word is used when it talks about how God is at work, how he's creating, he's bringing order out of chaos, he's bringing life out of the midst of death. And that same word is used all over the passage that we just read in Ezekiel 37. In fact, I would encourage you, take some time today or this week and read through that passage again for yourself and just notice how many times in English you read the word wind or breath or spirit. Like, it's all over the place. And just know that it's the very same word in Hebrew that's behind all of that. And that word is intimately connected to the life-giving power of God. So try to imagine, okay, what, what is the effect that that would have on the original readers? Right? Because this word has multiple meanings, the author can use it just to simply tell his story, to move it along. He's got to talk about wind and breath and spirit just to tell the tale. But we also need to remember that every single time his original readers hear that word, like a little light bulb goes off. Because it's like, yeah, yeah, he's talking about wind, but that's also a word that talks about God's power. Yeah, yeah, he's talking about breath, but ooh, ooh, that's also a word that talks about God's power. As the original audience heard this story, that, that word gets repeated over and over and over again, reminding them that all throughout, it is the spirit of God, right? That, that wind, that life-giving breath that is at work making life happen. Now, at this point, you may be wondering why on earth we're talking about this on Christmas Eve. <laughs> I mean, what does any of this have to do with the Christmas story, really? Um, well, it turns out that same idea about the power of God's spirit to create life, to bring a world from winter to spring, it's all throughout the Christmas story, too. You guys remember Mary? Uh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah. Like, oh, she had Jesus, kind of a big part of the Christmas story, yeah. But, you know, at the beginning of the Christmas story in Luke, you know, this angel shows up to Mary and says, hey, Mary, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, hey, I don't know how you, if you know how it works down here. Like, but I've never had sex with anybody. I can't really have a baby. And look at how the angel describes what's going to happen. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. 
So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Right? The Spirit of God will settle on you. So Luke's biography of Jesus is written in Greek, and the Greek word for spirit is the word pneuma, but that is the translation of the Hebrew word ruach. It's the same idea, right? It's that spirit that's going to create new life, a child where there was no life. And that child's birth is going to be part of God's plan of moving this world from winter to spring. And again, this is an idea that Jesus picks up as he goes throughout his ministry. So in Luke 4, Jesus preaches the very first sermon. He kind of announces what it is that he has come to do. And he describes his mission. And really, he describes his mission on earth by using different illustrations that kind of get at this heart of turning the world from winter to spring. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, right? Moving from blindness to sight, captivity to freedom, sickness to healing, bringing the hope of spring to people who just don't see how their winter is ever going to end. That's what Jesus came to do. And it's telling to see how he introduces it, how he set it up. He says, it's the spirit of the Lord that is on me, the same spirit that helped create the world. The same spirit that brought life to the vision, to those bones in that vision. The same spirit that actually helped Jesus enter into our world. That spirit is on him, giving him the power to do this work of bringing an end to winter. And by the power of the spirit, Jesus in his life, in his ministry, he started working to put an end to winter. And he promises that one day he's going to come back and put an end to this winter for good. I don't know how much gardening you all do. I do very, very little, but Google teaches me everything that I need to know. Um, but one of the things that people do when winter is coming and when their summer gardens have died is they look ahead and they plant bulbs, right? This is a thing, right? I don't think I'm making this up. Uh, things like tulips and daffodils, right? You take them and you actually bury them in the winter, during the winter, and then you just wait and you don't see them and you don't see that they're there. But during those cold winter months, they are there, and they're actively preparing for spring. And then when winter finally starts to thaw, they're the very first flowers to shoot up out of the ground. And and see, Jesus' birth is like those bulbs. He came into a world that was winter and barren with no hope in sight, and he started working. He started working to put an end to winter. And, And winter is not fully over in our world in lots of ways, but we trust that Christmas was the event that started bringing winter to a close. We may not always see God working around us, but we can trust that because he came, winter is ending, and the power of God's spirit is available to each of us. So all this month, we've been in this teaching series that we're calling The Gifts of Christmas. And as followers of Jesus, we do believe that his birth changed human history forever, and it brought into our world in lasting ways gifts like peace and joy and hope and love. But, but this is what I want to make sure that you hear this morning. One of the gifts of Christmas is the promise of new life that God's Spirit makes possible. God's Spirit brought life to those dead bones. God's Spirit created life in Mary's womb. The Spirit empowered Jesus' ministry as he taught and as he healed. And during his time on earth, he promised that once he was raised back to life, he would send that Spirit to each one of us, helping us live the lives that we were created to live. That is one of the gifts of Christmas. The fact that the God who specializes in bringing dead things back to life is still alive and at work in our world. So if you walked in this morning feeling like you were in the midst of a winter that would never end, I just want you to remember that Christmas has changed all of that. Christmas reminds us that winter won't last forever. 
if you are here this morning and you just don't see a way out of the exile that you feel like you're living in, remember that Christmas has changed all of that. Because of Christmas, everything has changed. God, in his power, is at our side and is on our side. He has come to put an end to our exile, our winter, bringing back to life the parts of ourselves and our world that we feel are dead. And I don't know what every single one of you is going through, but I do trust that God, through the power of his spirit, can help you if you would only stop and ask him. So in just a moment, we're going to pray, and then we're going to sing a final song together. And I just want to invite you during that time to pray and ask that God would bring the life-giving power of his spirit to help you face whatever it is that you're dealing with right now. And when we pray that, I just want you to know that we can do that with confidence, knowing that we can make it through the winter because we know that the winter that we live in is not a place where it's always winter and never Christmas. It is not a winter with no hope. Winter cannot control us or keep us down forever. Because thanks to the Spirit of God and thanks to Christmas and the coming of Jesus, our winter will soon end. Let's pray. Father, we are so, so grateful that we do not live in a world where it is always winter and never Christmas. Uh, That your birth, the gift of your Son, makes new life possible, even in situations where we just can't in our own human mind imagine how there could be a way forward or a way out. And God, there are a lot of people who are in this room this morning, and I know there are people who are watching us online, and there's just no way that I could know what everybody needs to hear from you this morning. But Lord, we trust that your power is real and that your spirit is real. So we just invite you uh, in this moment to come and to speak to us, to help us remember that the very same spirit that helped create this world, that brought life into Mary's womb, that that spirit is available to bring life into all that we are facing right now. Lord, as we prepare to sing a a final song where we, we talk about how you are the word of the Father who now in flesh is appearing. You have appeared on earth. You are here. God, would you help the reality of that to sink deep into our hearts and our minds? And would you help us to hang on to the gift of the spirit that you've given us so that we can find the new life that can only come from you? Come, Lord, and do whatever you need to do in us today. Amen.